This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include graphic violence and death, strong language, and mature themes. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 269. Greetings, Metamorphs! Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorcity.com. Each week, I share a piece of my fiction with you. I'll also tell you what's new with my life and my writing. More on that later in the show. For now, let's get to this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 10 in my Metamore City novel, Making the Cut. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 259 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In last week's episode, Dell and Trace had successfully commandeered the cargo tender, but Daniel noticed the change in the pilot's descent pattern, and Victor went to check on the cockpit. Victor got into a close-quarters gunfight with Trace, who managed to shoot him twice, once in the knee and once in the gut. The sound of gunfire sent Evan's mercs into the battle, but they were no match for Trace's precog abilities and Dell's telekinesis. Both mercs were taken out quickly. That left only Daniel, who was outnumbered and outpowered, but still a formidable martial artist. Daniel managed to pin Dell with a gun to his throat, but Trace's gun to Daniel's head forced a stalemate. With Victor bleeding out, Daniel made a deal. He turned over his gun and the syndicate's package, and Dell and Trace allowed him to look after his injured friend. No one else put up a fight as Dell and Trace went to the back of the cargo bay, ready to hand off the package to Fiona down in the skyport. Daniel was left alone with Victor in the narrow hallway leading to the cockpit. He used his psychic healing talent and managed to heal Victor's injuries, saving his life. The exertion left Daniel completely exhausted, and he could only watch as Victor gathered up the stray bullets from the corridor, pulling them out of the bulkheads with his telekinesis. As he stalked toward the cargo bay with death in his eyes, Daniel tried to stop him. I made a deal, he protested. Victor did not even look back. I didn't, he said. Making the Cut A Novel of Metamore City Written in Red by Chris Lester Chapter 10 Such a little thing, and so much trouble, Trace thought, as he picked up the package the vamps had been trying to smuggle in. He used his clairvoyance to peer inside, but all he saw was a stack of data cards and a small metal box. The latter must have been lead-lined as a precaution against scrying, 
because it was completely opaque to his second sight. Why go to all this hassle for data? Sasha wondered. Why not use the world net? Obviously, it's something so sensitive that they don't want to risk someone intercepting it, Brian said. We'll find out what it is soon enough. Del, get that thing down to Fiona and get back to the cockpit. I might be able to land it without you, but I don't think you'd enjoy the ride. Copy that, Del said, already at Trace's side. Trace handed him the package. After testing its weight for a moment, Del carried it to the mouth of the cargo bay, which was still facing in the direction of the skyport. Trace joined him and looked down over the tailgate. He wasn't worried about turning his back on the bay full of cowering deck monkeys. He trusted his precog to warn him of any danger before it happened, and none of them seemed to have the desire to put themselves in harm's way. A hundred meters below them, and about another hundred away on the horizontal, Fiona was perched in a small access hatch near Bay 94. She saw them as they came into view, and signaled them with a small pocket mirror. Dell focused on the package in his hands, sending it aloft with no apparent effort. Gesturing with one outstretched hand, he guided it swiftly and smoothly down to Fiona. She caught it easily, nodded to them in parting, and disappeared down the hatch. Capture confirmed, Fiona said into the link, returning to staging area and awaiting guidance to extraction point. Be right with you, Sasha promised. Del, Trace, I'm going to pull back my focus so I can help Fiona get out of there. I'll leave a thread open to you, though, so just give it a tug if you need me. Trace sent her the telepathic equivalent of a confident grin. No problem, Sash. We'll be fine up here. See you back at the rendezvous point. The sense of Sasha's presence faded from the telepathic bond, leaving only a slender line of subconscious thought connecting Dell and Trace to the others. Trace missed her touch as soon as it was absent. Damn, it had been too long since he'd shared headspace with her. But he didn't begrudge her leaving. Fiona would need Brian's detailed knowledge of the building's schematics to navigate safely through the ventilation ducts, and channeling that information between them would require almost all of Sasha's attention. None of the rest of them were strong enough teeps to maintain a full link at this range, so something had to give. All right, Dell said, turning away from the tailgate and heading back toward the front of the ship. Let's finish this. Trace cast his gaze around the cargo bay seeing the frightened men peering out at them from behind boxes and crates. "'Thank you for your cooperation, gentlemen,' he said, smiling at them. He didn't brandish any of the guns he was carrying. Better not to do anything overtly threatening, now that the job was done. "'We'll be parking this bug momentarily, so you can all relax. Sit back, enjoy the flight, don't try anything stupid, and you'll all walk away with a story to tell your grandkids about.' Dell reached the door first and pushed it open, then paused at the threshold. He frowned, a wave of uncertainty coming off of him. Trace was beside him a moment later and saw why. The Arambian crewman that he'd shot earlier was missing. In his place was the blonde-haired Kitchlander, now lying on his side and looking like someone had drugged him. His eyelids were fluttering, and the fingers of one hand twitched. His lips moved as if he were trying to form words, but no sound came out. "'What in the hell's happened to him?' Dell asked. Suddenly, Trace's danger sense screamed, his subconscious mind spotting something in his extrasensory awareness that it labeled as a threat. Adrenaline surged through his body, 
and in a flash of terrible insight, he saw the choice before him. He hesitated for only an instant. When it came down to it, there was only one choice he could make. Dell, get down! Trace threw himself on top of Dell, trying to tackle him. He had just come between Dell and the cargo bay, and was starting to bear him to the deck when the bullet struck him in the back, just below his left shoulder blade. Pain flooded his senses as the ball of lead tore through his lung and rattled to a stop against the inside of his rib cage. The lung collapsed almost instantaneously, and Trace gasped for air as he hit the floor. He already felt like he was drowning. How had this happened? He knew that he and Dell had collected all the guns. There had been no gunshot. Only... He turned over on his side, looking up as the Arambian crewman stepped into view. He was covered in blood, but otherwise looked to be fully healed. He was holding something in his hand. A bloody, misshapen bullet. The man gestured with his other hand, and the guns that Trace had collected flew through the air and landed in the cargo bay behind him. By this time, Dell had recovered from his surprise and pulled out his own gun. He rolled over on his back and squeezed off three shots at the crewman. The bullets were aimed well, a tight cluster aimed straight at the man's chest. All three hit an invisible wall a few centimeters before impact, deflected wide, and buried themselves in the bulkheads. Holy shit, Trace thought. PK shield. But that means... The Arambian bared his teeth at Dell and gestured, pulling the gun from the wolfman's slackened grip. Dell saw it leave his fingers and summoned his own telekinesis, stopping the gun in midair. Trace could do nothing but watch. He was losing strength fast, and he felt tired, so damned tired. The bullet must have hit a major blood vessel. He was getting dizzy, and it was getting harder to breathe. He coughed and tasted iron in the back of his throat. Oh, gods, I'm drowning in my own blood. He reached out and tugged at the thought thread to Sasha, but he was already so weak that he couldn't send her much more than the excruciating pain and soul-sick fear that had overtaken him. Sasha, can you hear this? He thought desperately. It's a rogue teak. Somehow he healed himself. Bastards throwing our own bullets back at us. The gun trembled in midair, suspended between Dell and the rogue. Dell clawed at it desperately with his outstretched hand, obviously using all the power he could summon. He gasped, and the gun crept a couple of decimeters closer to the rogue before Dell stopped it once more. The rogue was sweating now, his brow furrowed in intense concentration, but his breathing remained steady and his hold on the gun was implacable. God damn it, Trace, you have to do something, he told himself. Hit him, get in his way, bite his ankles for God's sake, but do something. Trace struggled to his knees. He crawled toward the rogue teak, one decimeter at a time. His body was in agony, his remaining lungs slowly filling with blood, but he pulled himself forward toward the enemy's sigh, determined to save Dell if he could. He nearly made it. As he came almost within reach of the rogue's legs, his body was racked by a spasm of fresh pain. He doubled up in a fit of coughing, spitting up blood on the deck beneath him. He felt Dell's shock as he realized how badly Trace was hurt, suddenly seeing the shot that Trace had willingly taken for him. Trace! In that instant, 
Dell's concentration faltered. The pistol flew into the rogue Teak's hand in an eye blink, and with no hesitation, the man took aim and emptied it into Dell. Trace didn't see it happen with his eyes, but his clairvoyance was all too clear. The bullet struck Dell in the chest, the throat, the face, the abdomen, the 10-millimeter high-velocity rounds tearing him apart like a dragon's teeth through cattle. Dell couldn't summon a PK shield as this man had. He had no way to defend himself against something as small and fast-moving as a bullet. He died before he even had time to scream. The empty gun clattered to the deck. A boot struck out at Trace's jaw, knocking him over onto his back. He coughed and retched, gagging on the blood that filled his throat. He looked up to see the rogue standing over him, still holding that damned bullet between his fingers. I believe this was yours, the man said, holding it out. His eyes were wild with rage and bloodlust. Perhaps I should give it back. You? Trace gasped for air, then forced the words out as best he could. Fucking moron. You're killing your own people. He shook his head weakly. They're gonna tear you apart. The man grinned savagely at him. Not if they don't find out. Trace's precog showed him the bullet being driven through his eye and into his brain an instant before it happened. He was somewhat relieved that he didn't have time to feel it. Daniel could do nothing but lay there, powerless and impotent, as Victor telekinetically propelled the bullet into the man's skull. The breed twitched once and went limp. Like the wolf man, whose mangled body was less than a meter away from Daniel, he was far beyond any hope of saving. He murdered them, Daniel thought, his exhausted brain still having trouble wrapping itself around the concept. They were sighs and he murdered them. Daniel hadn't been sure who the men were or why they had wanted the package, but the battle between Victor and the Wolfman over control of the gun had made it obvious. Mages could move things around with magic, but they needed reagents and words of power to make it happen. What he had witnessed was pure telekinesis, and given the way the breed had taken the bullet for his friend, Daniel figured he must have been an esper. Victor had been hiding among the crates behind them and waited until their backs were turned to him before he struck. No Mundy could have seen that coming and reacted in time. And now they were dead. Two sighs, identities unknown, murdered by Victor. If it had been just one, Daniel might have told himself it was a rogue sigh, just a bit of hired muscle that their employer's enemies had brought in to steal the package. With two of them working together, though, that told Daniel that the Psy Collective had taken an interest in this parcel and wanted it badly. Gods, no wonder Victor didn't trust anyone else in the Collective to help him. I was the only one stupid enough to go along with him. Eli, have mercy. What have I gotten myself into? Victor pulled out his communicator and put it to his ear. Ferret, you there? Kelly's voice came back over the speaker. I copy, Valiant. You're behind schedule. Any trouble? Two hostels. They got Tuscan Quarrel and handed off the package before I could put them down. Callie swore colorfully. Who's got the rock now? Best guess is Agent Alpha Niner. 
Victor said, his voice grim. She'll probably use the same ventilation ducts you're in to escape. Understood, Callie said, moving to intercept. I'll join you as soon as I can get us on the ground. Valiant out. Victor put the communicator away and headed toward the cockpit. Vic, Daniel mumbled. Victor paused and looked over his shoulder. Go ahead and rest, Daniel. You did your job. You saved my ass. Don't worry. Callie and I will get the package back. Get some sleep, and Ava will pull you out before things get too ugly. He entered the cockpit and shut the door behind him. Before it gets too ugly, Daniel thought bitterly. You killed two fellow spookies, you fucking psychopath. It doesn't get any uglier than that. In the distance, Daniel could hear the sound of police sirens slowly approaching. Soon there would be MCPD gunboats swarming the docking bay, and detectives asking all kinds of uncomfortable questions. Victor, no doubt, would be somewhere far away by then. I helped Victor kill two of my own people. If anyone in the collective finds out I was involved, I'm a dead man. Dear gods, what have I done? A shaft of pain and terror shot through Sasha's mind like a red-hot poker. She cried out and fell to the floor, just barely shielding her face from the hard, cold tiles. Sasha? Brian's voice echoed her own distress. He couldn't afford to disconnect from the Skyport's computer network, and she felt his frustration at being unable to reach out to her. After a moment, Sasha realized that the emotions were coming through her thought thread to Trace. She reached out and tried to widen the link, but the connection was tangled and distorted by the presence of so much strong emotion. Sending coherent thoughts at this range was tricky enough when both parties were reasonably calm. When one party was in distress, it was almost impossible. Feelings like pain, grief, and rage made it easier to hear a person's mind, while simultaneously making it harder to make out precisely what that person was thinking just as an audio speaker turned up too loud would sacrifice clarity for distance. "'What's going on, Trace?' she asked, putting as much force behind the thoughts as she could. If Trace heard her, he gave no sign. The flash of terror gave way to a cold, icy dread, a morbid feeling of inevitability. "'Oh, Eli, he doesn't think he's going to make it.' A tide of calm, focused thought came rushing into Sasha through her separate link with Fiona. Sasha grabbed hold of it like a lifeline, steadying herself against the flood of sensations coming from Trace. Fiona wasn't much of a teep, but her long years of practice at controlling her emotions gave her a self-discipline that Sasha envied. She borrowed that strength from Fiona now, building a barricade in her mind that held back enough of Trace's emotions for her to think clearly. Thanks, love, Sasha said, sending a wave of gratitude back to Fiona. Anytime, Fiona said. I will reach the staging area in approximately one minute. I can assist you until then, but after that I will need Brian's guidance. Can you get any sense of what is happening? Sasha peered out from behind her mental barrier at the storm that was raging in Trace's thoughts. Amid the pain and fear, she saw two new emotions, shock and anger. A sense of outrage and betrayal blackened Trace's thoughts, pushing him to keep fighting even as despair ate away at him from the inside. 
Sasha. Her name rode the tide of emotion into her thoughts. Are you getting this? Yes, Trace, she sent back urgently. Yes, I hear you. Keep fighting, Trace. We'll send help. But Trace didn't seem to hear her. More thoughts followed, fragmented and disjointed by the shaky connection. Rogue Teak. Bastard. Our own bullets. A chill ran through Sasha. Say that again, Trace. Did you say a rogue teak? Fresh terror ran through Trace, followed by more anger and a sense of desperation. Have to do something. Sasha clutched at her crucifix, running her fingers over it and sending up a silent prayer to Eli. Trace, please confirm, she said, pushing as hard as she could to send the thoughts through the link. Is it really a rogue? Can Dell stop him? It happened faster than she would have thought possible. Agony stabbed through Trace's body, followed almost instantly by a wave of shock that she knew was an echo from Dell. Then there was an explosion of feelings, frustration, despair, regret, that vanished as suddenly as it came. Sasha reached out for Dell's mind, trying to get some sense from him, a thought, an emotion, anything. Only silence answered her. Dell! A moment later, a sharp pain struck through Trace. He was so full of anger and despair that Sasha thought he was almost past caring. She fought desperately for a picture of what Trace was seeing, to get some sense of what was going on. She got one brief image of a tall black man standing over him, holding something between his fingers and grinning like the adversary himself. Then the image went dark and Sasha felt Trace's thoughts slip beyond her reach. Trace! Oh, Eli! She sobbed. Trace, come back! Fiona and Brian's thoughts wrapped around her, lending her strength even as they shared her grief. He's gone, Sasha, Fiona said gently. She couldn't believe it. She didn't want to believe it. Rogue telepaths might kill mundane, sure, but to kill two of their own people? To work for the vampires? What kind of sick bastard would do such a thing? Sasha, Fiona said, her voice calm but insistent. Stay with us, love. We need you. I need you. Brian's thoughts resonated with agreement. She's right, Sasha. We can't do anything to help Del and Trace. I need you to help me get Fiona out of here. The police are coming, and we don't have a lot of time. Sasha clutched tightly to both of their minds. Fighting back her tears, she grasped the crucifix again and prayed for strength. All right, she said, forcing herself to take slow, deep breaths. All right, I'm with you. Drawing on her years of military service and Fiona's iron will, Sasha pushed the grief to the back of her mind and walled it off. She would return to it later. Right now, she needed to finish the mission and make sure that the rest of them got out alive. And that's the end of Chapter 10. Come back next time when Fiona and Callie go head-to-head, trying to get the Syndicate's package out of the Skyport. Stephen King said, 
I've never held much of a brief for reality, at least in my written work. All too often, it is to the imagination what ash stakes are to vampires. So, let's step outside the ordinary and see what I've created this week. It's time for the weekly writing report. This update covers the week of December 26th through January 1st. I wrote 5,606 words this week, over the course of 8 hours, for an average writing speed of 701 words per hour. As of Friday night, I have gone 259 days without breaking my chain. Looking back on the month of December, I wrote a total of 21,980 words in 27 days, averaging 814 words per day. That ranks 16th out of 68 months since I started this podcast. I spent 29.75 hours writing in December. Compared to November, my word count increased by 1%, and my writing time decreased by 8%. I continued making good progress this week on Honor Bound. Natasha has escaped from immediate danger and is on her way to try and help Honor, but she's not going to be able to get to her without help. This is where I get to pay off a bunch of the setup I did at the beginning of the book, as people we met in the first few chapters return to play their parts in Natasha's rescue mission. Meanwhile, Honor still doesn't realize the trouble she's in, so I'm having to do some unreliable narrating and deploying my good old friend Dramatic Irony. This is an exciting part of the book for me, because I really don't know what's going to happen next but I can clearly see the character's thoughts and actions when I sit down to write it. That makes me very motivated to keep my writing schedule, so I can find out how this story ends. I'm now in chapter 38, and the manuscript is over 107,000 words. Now let's zoom out and see how I did in 2020 as a whole. I wrote a grand total of 166,366 words last year, writing on 215 days, for an average of 774 words per day. While 2019 brought me my second highest writing total, 2020 was my second lowest. Since I started keeping track, only 2018 was lower, at just under 93,000 words. This is entirely due to the writing slump that I had in the first quarter of the year, when I was working on None Shall Dwell Within. In mid-January, I discovered a technical error in Chapter 1 that was going to be pivotal to how the rest of the story played out. I would have to go back and do major surgery on what I had already written, and that killed my motivation to work on the book. Then my wife and I bought a house, and moved, and the COVID pandemic sent us all into lockdown, and I was trying to be the game master for two different RPG campaigns, and, well... For almost three months, I didn't write anything. That is by far the longest gap I've had since I started the podcast, and my word count for the year suffered for it. The good news is that once I started working on Honor Bound, I got my groove back in a big way. I started writing it on April 19th, and I haven't broken my chain since. So far, this is my second longest chain since I started keeping track of them. Of the words that I wrote this year, about 50,000 of them were scripts for this podcast, and I spent about 58 hours working on them. That's very similar to what I did in 2019. Over 109,000 words went into the actual writing of Honor Bound, 
that doesn't quite equal the current word total, because I've done some edits and deletions along the way. About 3,600 words and six hours were spent writing other text for the book, including ad copy, cover text, and world-building notes. I spent 2,000 words and three and a half hours on None Shall Dwell Within, and the remainder of the time was spent on assorted author notes and other behind-the-scenes stuff. Since I was working on Honor Bound for basically the entire year, I didn't actually finish any stories in 2020. This is the first year that's happened since 2013. In the years I've been doing this podcast, I completed three stories each in 2019, 2018, and 2017, two stories in 2016, and a whopping nine stories in 2015. Only one of those stories was longer than 20,000 words, but still. Back in 2019, I set a goal for myself of writing on at least 24 days of every month. I met that goal in 8 out of 12 months in 2019, not 6 months, as I incorrectly reported in last year's wrap-up, but in 2020 I only met it in 4 months, and mostly I didn't even worry about it. That's partly because, again, I let things slide for a while in 2020, but it's also because I was spending a lot of time on audio production. I completed the audiobook for Homecoming a full three months before I finished podcasting it, which meant that I was able to get it up on Audible in time for Thanksgiving. I also released the audiobooks for Distant Realms and A Wizard Family Solstice, and I built up a substantial buffer for this podcast, which is why you're hearing my end-of-the-year report now, rather than back in January. That gave me the freedom to take the occasional weekend off from the podcast to focus on other things, which was a huge stress reliever for me. I honestly should have done this years ago. Overall, I'm very happy with my achievements for 2020. I came back from the longest dry spell I've had in years, and the words have been flowing smoothly ever since, even with all the insanity that happened last year. In a year when just staying alive sometimes felt like an achievement, I pushed my creativity in a new direction, and I had a lot of fun doing it. I'm looking forward to finishing Honor Bound in 2021, and my big goal is to finish at least one other novel as well. Watch this space, and we'll see how I do. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show... Send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2021 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. 
So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.